You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. All right. Well, good morning, Trace. How are we feeling today? How are we doing? How's everybody doing? Feeling good? Be here. Saw a lot of new faces, a lot of faces I haven't seen for a long time. And man, I do just want to say this really quick. Just let me take a moment. My man, Tyler, like I was, I'm the, I'm the least musical person that you will ever meet in your life, but I was back there playing air guitar. I'm like, yes, that is good. And one of the things, if you don't know Tyler very well, he, he's our creative arts pastor. Uh, one of the things I love about him is his humble spirit. And the more you get to know him, you'll get to know this. Uh, he doesn't want you to look at him except for his awesome leather jacket. He's got a good taste in jackets, but he doesn't want you to look at him. He wants you to look at Jesus. And I promise you that's true for him. He doesn't want to be a superstar. He doesn't want the attention. He wants to point the attention to Jesus. And I love that about him. And the more you get to know him, the more that you'll realize that about him as well. So Tyler, I love you. That's all I'm trying to say. And I love your taste in jackets. All right. Uh, yeah, give it up for Tyler. We'll go for it. Well, we are excited to have each and every one of you in this room with us this morning. Also, for those of you that are watching online or maybe listening at a later date, thanks for joining us. But seriously, a special welcome for those of you that are joining us for the first time. Uh, maybe you saw us on Google. You saw one of our new street signs that says church doesn't suck. Uh, maybe you were invited by a friend. Whatever it is, whatever brought you in our direction, we're incredibly thankful uh, to have you. We really, really are. And if you're not in a hurry today, I'm going to be out at Next Steps after our time today. And if you're willing to come out there, just briefly, I just want to say hi, just introduce myself. I'd really appreciate that. So if you're not in a, too big of a hurry, we'd love for you to stop by Next Steps before you leave. I also want to let you know that next week we're kicking off a new series called Made for More. And this will be a series that is filled with purpose and identity, especially coming out of a season where so many of us have probably felt a lack of purpose and maybe even struggled with some identity. And so if you've been waiting for an opportunity to invite someone to come to church and been waiting for that invitation, waiting for that series where it's like, hey, that's an easier invitation. I promise you, this is that series. So I would encourage you to leverage your influence and extend those invitations because we're really excited about this Made for More series coming up. Also, one more quick thing, kind of announcement. Um, after, uh, or before I should say, before we dismiss today, and not during my sermon, but before we dismiss, I'm going to get back up here and talk to you about some new COVID, uh, COVID protocols uh, that we're going to be putting in place. And so please don't like leave early. I want you to stay and hear those. And then we'll follow that up with an email just so that we can reemphasize what's being said. So sound good? All right. Well, today we're concluding this series called Let's Talk. And as you saw on the screen today, we are going to be talking about the subject of money. And more specifically, we're going to be talking about how giving should be an act of worship. That giving is not a, it's not a, a physical transaction. It's not even a, a financial transaction. It is a spiritual transaction. Now, really quick, really quick. Okay. I know for those of you that are new, let's just be honest. You're thinking, great. I came on the money weekend. Like, how bad is my luck, <laughs> right? And I know that sentiment. And so what I'm going to do here in just a few moments is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us some ground rules. And one of the things that I think that I can say, especially, let me talk to those of you, for those of you that are new. For those of you that are new, I think that if you talk to people that have been around here for a while, they would tell you that when we talk about the subject of money and or giving, that we do so in a healthy way. That we do so in a healthy way. It might be challenging, but we do it in a healthy way. And the reason that I even feel like that I need to say that is because I get it. Listen to me, I get it. I've literally been to churches where somebody in my position said, yeah, you need to give to the church. And if you give to the church, then you don't need to go after the Mercedes Benz. The Mercedes Benz is going to come after you. Call that prosperity gospel. And there's no place for that in God's kingdom. I've been to churches where the pastor 
you know, sent around a bucket, you know, did the typical offering and we passed around. We, tip, we intentionally don't pass around buckets here for, for what it's worth. But the, the guy got up and he's like, you know, pass the buckets. And then it went around. And I don't know if he kind of peeked in and looked and he's like, oh, that's not enough. We're going to do it again. You know, dig deeper into your pockets and kind of guilting people into giving. Listen to me, you're never going to find that. You're never going to find that here. I know of churches and what, what I would say is almost entire denominations that actually look at people's W-2 statement to make sure that you're giving 10%. And if you're not, you're not invited to certain church functions or even facilities. You're never going to find that here. But on the other side of the spectrum, you also have churches and people in my position where it's like, hey, we're not going to talk about this subject of all, at all because it's, it's so divisive or you know, so many people already think that the only thing that the church talks about is money, so let's just leave it alone. And I'd call them cowards. And I think that's foolish because the scriptures have a lot to say on this subject. And if we don't approach the subject in a healthy way, it can wreck our lives. And so what I want to do, let me set some ground rules for you really quick. I've just got four and I'll go through them briefly. Number one, as I've already kind of mentioned, we're never going to shy away from talking about money at Trace, specifically because the scriptures speak directly to the subject. There are over 2,300 verses in the Bible that talk about money. Out of all the parables that Jesus gave, he didn't teach, uh, or let me say that differently, out of all the parables that he taught, the majority of them were on the subject of money. Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. And as we kind of look at all of those numbers and stats, we might start to think, well, why? And honestly, you know, I think Jesus could, could answer that better than I could. But man, you know this. Like money can be a very divisive thing. It can be a very conflicting thing. There's a reason why money is one of the number one reasons why people get a divorce. There's a reason why entire families break up over things like an inheritance. You see, there's a lot of conflict that can come out of the subject of money. And if we don't approach it in a biblical way, we are welcoming that unnecessary conflict into our lives. Second ground rule that I would give you is that money is the biggest competitor for our heart. In other words, if there's anything that is likely to compete for our devotion and our time and our energy, it's likely to be money. If there's anything that's going to be a little G God in our life that we will have a tendency to even put in place of the big G God in our life, it will be money or something that's monetary. It's the biggest competitor for our hearts. And all of us, man, especially for those of us that have committed to follow Jesus, we know that there's only one person that should own our hearts. The third thing that I would tell you, the third ground rule is this, and especially for those of you that are new, guys, we don't want anything from you. We don't want anything from you, but we want so much for you, especially when it comes to this subject. This is why we started a stewardship ministry this year. And afterwards today, if you're interested in that stewardship ministry, Kevin and Karen Mianke, who are going to be overseeing this, will be out in the lobby. If you're interested in growing in the subject of generosity, uh, or we're going to be launching an FPU class here in a few weeks, if you're interested in getting out of debt, we're putting some things in place to partner with you and to help you to find peace in your finances. We don't want anything from you and we want everything for you. And let me take that one step further. Listen to me. If you, if you feel that this is a place that you don't trust, if you feel like that for whatever reason, I'm someone that you can't trust and where it's like, well, I don't know if I should trust you with my finances. Listen to me. Everybody that knows me knows that what I'm about to say, I mean to the bottom of my toes. If you don't give here, give somewhere. 
And you have my full permission to go find another church that you feel like you can trust and somebody in my position that you feel like you can trust so that you can continue to grow in the area of generosity and to give and to invest in the kingdom of God. My full permission. If you don't give here, listen to me, give somewhere. This is not about you giving to trace. This is about you growing in an area that I think is incredibly important, especially when it comes to our faith. Fourth ground rule, last one. The ministry that we do here will always be directly related to your generosity, right? I mean, you get this. The more ministry that we're able to do will be directly related to how generous you become. Our ministry is directly related to your generosity. And listen to me, we all want that, whether you've thought about this or not, we all want that. Because I promise you, you don't want me getting up here every January and saying, all right, guys, this year we're going to reach fewer people. This year we're going to counsel fewer people. This year we're going to take care of fewer needs. This year we're going to reach fewer people for Jesus. Who's with me? Right? Like nobody wants that. But what we have a tendency to do is we're like, well, yeah, of course, man. I want to be a part of a church that's doing incredible things for the kingdom. I want to be a part of a church that's blessing people in our community, dropping off care packages and taking care of single moms and putting together food packing events so they can feed people that need it the most. But sometimes what we have a tendency to do, but I hope they're taking care of it and I hope they're taking care of that because I'm not. And I'll just kind of soak up the experiences but I'm not going to invest in it. All of us, whether you've thought about it or not, all of us want to be a part of a church that we can brag about. All of us want to be a part of a church that's doing incredible things for the kingdom of God. Our ministry is directly related to your generosity. And my hope is that all of us have a desire to want to grow when it, become, when it comes to being generous. And let me just throw out this question for you. Is it even possible is it even possible to grow in Jesus if we're not growing in generosity? Something to wrestle with. So here's how I want to start our conversation today. I want to start by looking at a particular passage in the Bible uh, that probably is not looked to very often as a passage about giving, but I think it really sets a baseline for our conversation. It's a passage that you're very familiar with. It's John 3.16. For God so, help me out. For God so loved, so that is his motivation. For God so loved the world that he what? So out of the motivation of love, out of the motivation of loving us so much, he had an action item. So often there's a bias to our action that's typically rooted in our greatest motivations. And God's greatest motivation was his love for us. So out of the motivation of love, God gave his very best, his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. One of the things that you'll hear us say a lot around here when it comes to kind of this idea of motive versus action, we say our greatest motivation here at Trace, our greatest motivation is to remove obstacles, action, to get people to Jesus. Motive. You see, it's out of the motivation of love that we make sacrifices for our family that we serve our spouses, that we do whatever it takes to make sure that our kids are headed in the direction of Jesus. It's out of the motivation of love that we make ourselves available. And going back to what Josiah said last week, that we make ourselves available and we sit down and we listen to people whose lives are falling apart. 
that maybe are even despairing life. It's out of the motivation of love that we sit down and say, I've got time for you. It's out of the motivation of love that we don't allow our friends to be Patriot fans, right? Or to watch The Bachelor or to drive a Prius. I could go on all day. And it should be out of the motivation of love that we give. But we get it. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of enticement to this. There's a lot of enticement to wanting to hold on to it because of all that it has to offer, all the pleasure it can bring us, all the entertainment it can give us. I mean, there's a lot of enticement to wanting to hold on to this because, man, if I get like, you want me just to flippantly give this away? No, no, no. I mean, I've worked hard for this. And there's a lot of enticement of wanting to hold on to this. And again, let me be very clear this morning. What I don't want to say is that we shouldn't make room for the things that we enjoy in life. I mean, we all give to something, right? I hope that's clear. Whether you give to the church, we all give to something. Whether you give to to Starbucks or if you're a real Christian Dutch Brothers or you give to, you know, maybe you have hobbies like biking or, or fishing or hunting or skiing, right? I mean, we can give a lot of money to those things. You give to something. I hope you know that. We all give to something. And out of all the things that we give to, because again, I don't think that's bad. I think that's a good thing. But out of all the things that we give to, out of all the things that we sacrifice our time and treasures for, shouldn't God make the top of that list? And if he doesn't, if he doesn't make the top of that list, if, if our desire to use our time and our treasures to invest in the kingdom of God and advance the gospel so that people who don't know God can receive his grace, if that doesn't make the top of our list, can we then conclude that our loyalty and our love is misguided? I think this is what Paul was trying to get through to Timothy when he wrote him a letter. If you're new to the church, Paul wrote several letters that we have in our New Testaments, and he had this guy named Timothy that he was mentoring, and he wrote him a couple letters, and in his first letter, he says this, hey, Timothy, listen to me. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, really quick, just to be clear, this verse is misquoted all the time. Maybe you've heard it said, money's the root of all evil. Well, the Bible never said that, so we need to clear that up a little bit. For the love of money... Motivation. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wondered. Don't miss this. Love of money. Motivation. Wondering from the faith. Action. And pierce themselves with many griefs. Hold that thought. Last summer, um, I actually bought a mountain bike, and we've got several people here on staff that ride bikes, and so I'm like, hey, I'm going to buy a bike and see if I don't kill myself, but um, started to go out with some of the guys, and if you don't know Dave Bundrick, he's one of our executive pastors here. He is a stud on a mountain bike, and really quick, if you don't know this, last fall, he actually got in a really bad mountain biking accident, broke his neck. A lot of the doctors were saying he'd never ride again, probably have to get major surgery, infusions, and all this kind of stuff. Well, last week, he got word from the doctor that that's not <clears throat> necessary, and he's going to be able to get back on the bike, and so can we give it up for what God's done in Dave's life? But when I was riding with him, 
he gave me some incredible advice. He said, Aaron, when you're riding, don't just look three feet in front of you because wherever you look, like that's where you're naturally going to steer. And if you're only looking three feet in front of you, you're not making the necessary adjustments of what's coming 10 feet in front of you. And so, so he said, instead of looking three feet in front of you, look 10 to 12 feet in front of you because where you look is where you're going to go. It's a great illustration for our life if you think about it. So let me ask you a question. What are your eyes aiming your life towards right now? What are your eyes aiming your life towards right now? Because what you're looking for is what you're aiming towards. And again, let me be clear. It's completely okay to want to, to grow your wealth and to make investments and set yourself up in a healthy place financially. Completely okay with that. But don't make the mistake that so many have that the pursuit of this comes at a cost. And sometimes that cost is a lot higher than you think it is. The position that I've sat in, being in ministry and specifically being a lead pastor, uh, I get to see and talk with a lot of people and oftentimes this subject will come up and I've talked to a lot of people who are like, Aaron, you know, man, at some point we really, we wanna, we wanna get generous and we wanna give and we, just, we can't do that right now. We just need a little... We just need a little bit more. And I watch those people, a lot of them, not all of them. I watch those people actually come into wealth, sometimes a lot of it. And not only do they not start giving or start growing in generosity, but I watch them wonder. I watch it consume them. And I watch it begin to take the place of God in their life. Guys, if we aren't careful, the things that we seek in this life will turn into the things that we serve. Don't take my word for it. I want you to hear from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, everybody say cannot. Cannot. And I know I've, I know I've done this several times when I teach on this subject, but I just keep, I keep feeling like I need to do it again. He says, you cannot serve both George and Jesus. And it's the only time throughout the entire Bible where we see Jesus put two things side by side. And he says, guys, on this one, on this one, on this one, you're going to have to choose. You can't ride the fence on this one. You can't play it safe on this one. On this one, you're going to have to choose. For many of us, the struggle the struggle that we have to align ourselves with God's will is played out in the realm of our finances, if we're being honest. It's where the real battle is happening for so many. As Martin Luther said, there are three conversions that are really necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And do you know why so many people typically have trouble when somebody like me starts talking about this? Or maybe you have a parent, maybe you have a friend that has encouraged you in this area because they see you making very foolish decisions when it comes to your finances. You know why, you know why people have a lot of trouble with this? Because it's hard to let go of something you love. It's hard to let go of something you love. 
which is why we need to wrestle with this subject, which is why it's a subject that needs to come up in church more often than it does. Many years ago, um, when I was still in the health and wellness industry, uh, for those of you that didn't know that, I used to be in the health and wellness industry, used to be a part owner in a health club, and I had this client, and she was in her 50s, really sweet lady, and got to know her and her husband really well, and her husband was actually a nature and wildlife photographer, and he actually took this picture out in the wild and gave it to me. It's a picture of a true Kentucky wildcat on a piece of petrified wood. He caught that in nature. And he gave me that picture, a really cool guy. And he had this, uh, he had this old muscle car uh, that was really sweet. I can't remember the make and model of it, but he had this old muscle car that he had spent so much time like fixing up and taking care of and putting you know, additions on it and making it faster and all that kind of stuff. And man, you could tell this was his pride and joy. Every time I talked to him, I think the subject of his muscle car came up. But the perspective about this particular car started to change when he got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And all that time that he spent in his garage and all those countless hours and late nights that he devoted to this car started to look more like lost time than it did a real treasure. And as he was weighing the balance of the time that he had left and the time that he felt like he had already wasted on this car, specifically at the expense of his family, he decided not to sell it. He just gave it away. Perspective. Now, let me be clear. Does that mean we shouldn't have hobbies? Does that mean you shouldn't be working on a muscle car in your garage? I've seen dads do this really well specifically dads, and they'd bring in a daughter or a son and do that with them, and it's something that they did together, and it was very special, but it doesn't always play out that way, does it? But is it, is it wrong to have those kind of hobbies? Absolutely not. Is it, is it wrong to invest time and resource and money in the things that we, we enjoy? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to pursue personal wealth? No, absolutely not, but I need you to wrestle with the question, at the expense of what? At the expense of what? Because when a good thing becomes the main thing, it's often a bad thing. So let me ask you a question. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you've decided for whatever reason to not give this back to God, if you've decided to hold it all for yourself, can I just ask you why? Can I ask you to ask yourself why? And I promise you, I'm not here to put any guilt on anybody. We don't speak the language of guilt around here. We speak the language of grace and truth. And so if you've decided, for whatever reason, you know what? Don't tell me what to do with my money. Don't tell me what I'm so. You know how hard I've worked for this? You know what I came out of? You know, kind of you know, the family dynamics that I came out of and how hard I've worked to make sure that I have some of this from us? Don't tell me what to do with my money. And when we have that motive, our action is probably going to be to let go more of the things of God and the purposes of God in our life as we grip onto this tighter. And we're already having the wrong posture when we do this because it is all God's to give. Everything that you have in your possession, you are simply a steward over it. 
Everything that you have, you only have because God has allowed you to have. And one thing that we all have in common is all of us are going to close our eyes for the last time and we don't get to take any of it with us. And so can I ask you a question? In the little bit of time and the little bit of opportunity that God has given you with a little bit of resource that he's allowed to go through your hands, are you investing it in a way that is lasting? Obviously, if this was going to be such a big issue in our life, uh, you would think that God would give us some direction. <laughs> you would think that God would give us some specific instruction, and he did. Uh, all the way back into the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we see God give us a framework of what our giving is supposed to look like. And we see this happening in Abraham's life, and it was before he was even called Abraham. He was just called Abram. In Genesis chapter 14, it says, Blessed be Abram by God the Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God the Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is where we get the word tithe. Every time you see the word tithe in the Bible, it actually means a tenth. And then a little bit later, when he's given the Israelites instruction on faithfulness and obedience, we see in Levit Leviticus chapter 27, he says, in a tithe of everything of the land. So this just wasn't resource for them. This was everything, every one of their crops, everything. A tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, for those of you that have been around the church for any amount of time, you know it's like, well, hold on, Aaron. You're talking about old covenant stuff. We're now underneath the new covenant, so we don't fall underneath that old covenant anymore. And I would agree with you 100%, because if you didn't give what God asked you to give in the old covenant, you were literally under a curse that God's blessing would be pulled from you and you would be cursed by God. You would be you would be under his wrath. Now, because of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross by going to the cross, something that we deserve, he took God's curse, he took God's wrath. Therefore, you know, our lack of obedience doesn't lead to our punishment. Jesus took our punishment and God doesn't punish two people for the same crime. So Jesus took your punishment. Now, to say that it's not a new covenant principle but would also be wrong because Jesus himself speaks on the subject in Matthew 23, 23, he says this, what sorrow awaits you. He's kind of coming down on the religious leaders because they're getting everything all jacked up. He says, what sorrows await, awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. In other words, sometimes we fall into this as Christians as well, where it's like, hey, I'll, I'll give, I'll give. You know, I'll give, and then I feel like I've done my Christian duty. I've done my Christian charity, so I'll back up, and everybody else can take care of all those other things like justice, mercy, and compassion, and all those things. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, Jesus specific, like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. That was never, that was never what this was about. Do, do I want you to be faithful and tithing? Yeah. But not at the expense of these more important things, compassion and mercy and grace. Should you tithe, Jesus says? Yes. But do not neglect the more important things. So here we are. If you've chosen today to not give back to God what is already rightfully His, I just want you to wrestle with the question, why? Maybe it's because you don't feel like you need to. Man, my heart's not in it, Aaron. Okay. I'm in debt, man. Just let, let me get out of debt first. Let, let me get out of debt. And then after I get out of debt, then I'll start giving. Aaron, I don't really trust the church. I don't, I don't think that you guys are, you know, managing your finances the way you should. So you know what? I'm not going to give to the church. I don't, I don't trust what you would do with it. 
You know what? I'm going to give to other things. I think there are other things that I'd, I'd rather invest in. Maybe you'd say, I can't afford to right now. Maybe. Maybe you would say, why should I give 10% of my money to the church? And maybe God would say back, why should I let you keep 90%? God gave his very best. Listen to me. God gave his very best for us. Why are we trying to come up with so many excuses to just give 10% of what's already his back to him? And listen to me, if you hear agenda, if you hear unhealthy motive, don't give it here. Give it somewhere. Because if you don't, I promise you, George is beginning to own your heart. And it happens ever so suddenly. I want to read one more passage to you really quick uh, from Malachi chapter 3. And I debated on reading this because when I read this to you, it's going to be like, dang, like it's going to, it's some strong language. And I want to remind you that Malachi is underneath the old covenant, which is when God operated in a different system. But let me read it to you because there's something in here that we read that we don't ever see in any other place of the Bible. And I think it's going to speak directly to our conversation. In Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, it says this, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask me, how are we robbing you, God? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Remember, we don't, we don't fall underneath that curse anymore, just to be clear. But he says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And then he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That would have been an aspect of the temple at that point in time, but it would be equivalent to the New Testament church today. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And there it is. Test me in this. Nowhere else in the entire Bible, any other time, does God say, hey, on this one, test me. In this area, test me. Why did God feel it necessary when it comes to the subject of money to actually say, hey, on this one, you can test me? I think it's because he knows if there's anything in our life that's going to be hard to let go of, it's going to be money. And so he says, test me. And more importantly, I think he's telling you to trust him. Test me. Trust me says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So let me put this challenge in front of you. Would you test him? If this has been an area of struggle for you, and if you decide not to give here, give somewhere else, but would you test him in this? There was a pastor uh, from Elevation Church, some of you may know the name, Pastor Stephen Furtick, and when he taught on this, he goes, listen, test God in this. For 30 days, test him. Maybe it was 90 days. For 90 days, test him. And if you don't see God take care of your needs and provide for you the way that you need him to provide for you, I will give you your money back after 90 days. So I'll give you the same thing. If you test him for 90 days and you don't see God take care of your needs, Pastor Stephen Furtick will give you your money back. <laughs> I really don't play those games. But it's your heavenly father. I know this is going to be hard for some of you. He's saying Test me. Trust me. I'll take care of your needs. Maybe you need to make some adjustments to do this, right? Maybe you need to change your priorities. 
But test me and trust me. Because if you don't, George is going to start owning your heart. So if I were to give us three action steps today to kind of conclude our time, I would say this. Give to God first. Because if we don't, everything else becomes emotional. Well, let's see if we got any money left at the end of the week and, or the month or whatever. And then if we got any left over, then, then we'll just give whatever we have left over. That's too emotional and it's too circumstance, too circumstance driven. If we're really going to trust God, if we're going to test God, I think it's got to go first. Make it automatic. You can do this by giving. Again, if you decide to give here, you can do this by getting on our app and setting up reoccurring giving. Feel free to make that step. The second thing I would say is be faithful. And nowhere in the Bible do we see faithfulness in giving for anything less than 10%. Like it's always 10% or more. So if you want to be faithful in giving back to God what he's already given to you, the line of faithfulness is 10%. Now, some of you listen may be, you know what? I don't think I can do that right now. Or here's what I tell you. The average Christian gives 3% or less. That's what the statistics say. The average Christian gives 3% or less to kingdom endeavors. Does anybody want to be a part of an average or below average church? Me neither. So maybe you start at five. And then as you can, you continue to grow. I would, I would encourage you, though, to start with a percentage and stick to it and try to get to the point of 10%. If you don't give here, give somewhere. Our future... <laughs> Our future ministry depends on your generosity. And I promise you, I've got big dreams and visions of what I think God wants to do through this church. I want to I renovate more teachers' lounges. I want to go and completely do the, redo the landscaping of elderly people that can't get out and do it themselves. I want to offer more free counseling uh, one of the things I've been dreaming about is, man, what if we put together what I'm calling the Trace Grant, which is if one of you comes to us and says, man, I think God has put something on my heart and I really don't have the resource to fund it, but you know, you come meet with us, maybe we have a council of people that kind of oversees that. And it's like, man, this is awesome. We're not going to take that on as a church, but we want to empower you to run with that idea because we believe it's a kingdom idea. And maybe we give a, a grant up to $4,000 for people that have God putting stuff on their hearts, our ministry is directly related to your generosity. So as we step in the future together, let's do something great. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would take this message, you would take the word, you would take what was spoken of from your word today, God, that you would continue to embed it in our hearts, that we would at least continue to come back to the question, if I'm not doing this, then why? Father, more than anything, just going back to that sentiment that we don't want anything from people, but we want everything for them. We want something great for them. And I know that if, that if George owns their heart, it's going to be next to impossible for them to grow in Jesus and so, Father, I pray that you would use this time today. Help us to all take that step together to grow in the area of generosity and then just watch you work. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.